I want to welcome you to our Bible study this evening, and I want to encourage you to have your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 3. As I said last week, we labored in 1 Peter chapter 3 when we discussed principles of marriage. And I felt it was good for us because there's so much crossover in the principles to finish out 1 Peter chapter 3 in Bible study. And tonight we find ourselves down in verse 12 and we're learning some hard truths. What I have found for myself and most other people is we tend to like fairy tales or maybe we tend to like the way that fairy tales end because everything ends well. They lived happily ever after in almost every fairy tale. In reality, life is not a fairy tale. We all know that life is not fair and that life is difficult. I am reminded of the words of Malcolm Muggeridge who wrote, Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences and I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. What we must deduce is hardship, unfair things, injustices, suffering does not rob us from growth experience, but rather introduces an incredible opportunity for us to grow. No one can be promised a fairy tale existence, but I do think that all can end well, because as Christians, we understand the scriptural truth that ultimately good does triumph over evil and that God is just and he's kind and he's fair. But what do we do? How do we live our best life? How do we react? How do we behave? How do we filter life with the injustices and the unfairness that comes in the meantime? Before the Lord establishes his kingdom and before we enjoy the peace and rest of eternity, how do we navigate this life? How can I avoid bitterness and cynicism and hostility and resentment? Fortunately, here, beginning in 1 Peter 3.12, we're helped by Scripture. Note verse 12 with me. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Here's a truth that's communicated in verse 12. God misses nothing. He is looking out for us. He is listening to the prayers of the righteous. He is completely aware of the evil that is around us. He's aware of our situations and our circumstances. He sees. He remembers. He may be long-suffering, and certainly he is, but he does not compromise. Ultimately, God wins. He sees the evil, and he hears the righteous. He is aware. 
You might be prone to ask, like I feel it sometimes, why then does God not do anything about all of this evil? Well, because God's timeline is not our timeline. His timeline is infinite. It's completely in his control. In the end, he will work everything together for his good and for his glory. And that is the initial tone setter for this study this evening. Rather than existing, wrapped in the bondage of cynicism and bitterness and anger and hostility and resentment, we must focus on the reality that in the end, he will work his good. In the end, all will be made right. Now, that's a fact. Let's establish what I see in verse 13 as the normal way of life. Verse 13, here's what he says. Who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? If you are followers of that which is good, the question is, who is he that will harm you? If I were to try to paraphrase that, maybe it would be something like, pursuers of good, usually the norm would be that they will not suffer harm. This is backed by Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. This is a general norm. It's a fact. There are exceptions, of course, to every single rule, but as a general rule, if you live a life of righteousness and you live a life of integrity and you live a life of purity, usually you won't suffer as those who are habitually doing evil. The way of transgressors is hard. The thing is, if you're living pure with integrity and righteousness, you need not fear Long prison sentences. If you are keeping up with integrity in your finances, you don't need to necessarily fear financial woes. You don't have to worry about pain in that regard. If you take care of your body, the odds are you will live a healthier life than those that don't. Now again, stick with me. This is the norm. We don't suffer as evildoers suffer. There are certainly exceptions, but listen to Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. All we're establishing here in verse 13 is the norm, is if we are followers of that which is righteous, who is it that's going to harm us? Now what he will do is pivot in verse 14 and tell us, I know there are exceptions to every rule. Here is how you can deal with the exception. What is the exception? Verse 14, the first part, he says, but, here's the exception. Normally, but... And if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Okay, normally, if you live a life of purity and integrity and righteousness, you will not suffer. That's comforting in and of itself. But 
If you find that even in the midst of living right, you are suffering, happy are ye. That's a striking thing. Sometimes, in spite of your faithful walk with God, situations can turn. These are the exceptions to the rule. But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake. Now you do a little bit of a study and it's interesting that word if. There are four conditions that can be introduced by that word if. The first would be it's assumed as true. That would be used in Matthew 4, 3. When the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God to Jesus, command that these stones be made bread. If it is assumed as true. The second way it's used is it's assumed as not true in Galatians 1.10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. It's assumed as not true. The third is maybe or maybe not. In 1 Peter 3.13, we read, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? This is something that we understand. And then there is the, it's unlikely, but it's possible. So maybe or maybe not, that's verse 13. It is maybe you will suffer, maybe not. And in verse 14, the if is different when he says, but and if ye suffer, it's unlikely, but it is possible. Now that's a little bit of labor in some study. All to say, maybe or maybe not. It's unlikely, but it is possible that you will suffer in doing right. If that were to happen to me, if I genuinely have done all that I can, and I am suffering anyway, unlikely, but possible, how do I react? How do I live my best life? How do I get through it? Now listen, this is really practical. I don't know anyone that feels like they are dealing with just punishment. On occasion, we know. But most all of us feel like every time we are suffering or every time there is an injustice, it's just not fair. So how do we deal with this? There are far too many cynical people and resentful people and bitter and hostile and angry people, selfish people. We don't want that. We don't want that to be the fruit of our lives. So here's what... Peter tells us, you can be happy. How can I be happy if I am suffering for righteousness' sake? Well, let's just establish some scriptural principles. Count it as joy. That's what James said in James 1-2. Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Now, only Christians are equipped to do this. Jesus says this in Matthew 5-10. Peter says, be ye happy, so we count it as joy. Jesus said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That's what Jesus said. Happy are you. That's blessed. Happy are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Peter says, you can be happy if you suffer for righteousness sake. Happy are you. Count it as joy. Make the decision to be joyful about it. 
to grasp the spiritual maturity that will come of it, the fruit that will be produced, the growth that you will enjoy and do it with a positive attitude. That's just being willful, intentional. And only believers can do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. Count it as joy. Secondarily, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it sounds like the most vain advice anybody can give. It's almost condescending to say, don't worry about it. But notice what we read in the second part of verse 14 here in 1 Peter 3. But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Don't worry about it. Fear, neither be afraid of their terror. Fear there, that's phobia. That's what causes me to panic. That's what makes me want to run. Don't be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Don't be agitated about it. Don't allow inner turmoil. Don't worry about it. Don't panic and don't allow inner turmoil. Man, this would be life-changing if we could figure this out. That's what Jesus told the disciples in the upper room. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Stop letting your heart be agitated. Stop living with inner turmoil. Stop being controlled by their terror. Don't panic. Don't run. Don't worry about it. Why? Well, God's in control. We're going to get there in just a second. This is sound advice. But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Count it as joy. Intentionally have a positive attitude because blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and say all kinds of things about you because you're living a righteous life. Now, it's unlikely that you'll suffer for righteousness and integrity, but if you do, if you are the exception, be positive. Don't worry about it by remembering that Christ is Lord. Look at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctify Christ as the Lord in your heart. Remember that Christ is Lord. Remember that you are saved. Remember that Christ is Lord of your heart. He is Lord of your life. He is Lord of all. Whatever your circumstances, you and I can enjoy communion with Christ our Lord and be grounded in the reality that he is Lord of all. Listen to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 31 and verse 4. For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as the lion and the young lion roaring on his prey. When a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. There's no anxiety in those verses. God is not anxious. If you wonder why God isn't anxious when you are, the fact is it's because he has everything under control. That's why he's not anxious. He knows that Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, ultimately will triumph. A great biblical example of sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts is Stephen. 
as he is being unjustly, unfairly executed, martyred, suffering for righteousness' sake. Note in verse 55 of Acts 7, he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He did not deserve this brutal attack. He could have died bitter and resentful. He could have died cursing and shouting back at those that were throwing stones, but instead they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He's forgiving like Jesus when they nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How can you be offering verbal forgiveness and exuding peace in the midst of this brutal attack that is utterly unjust? He looked into heaven and he saw that God was in control. He looked into heaven and he saw as it were the throne room. He sanctified the Lord in his heart, and he was aware that God was in control. How can I count it as joy and have a positive attitude and not worry about it? Sanctify the Lord in your heart. And here's something practical that we can do. If we suffer for righteousness' sake, verse 15, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That doesn't mean the hope is in you with meekness and fear. You answer people with meekness and fear. More on that in a second. The word hope is used in this verse. One of the things that we have the opportunity to do is to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to exhibit Christ-likeness when we are unjustly suffering. How do you maintain a spirit of hope in the midst of unfairness? Well, We count it as joy. We have a positive attitude. We sanctify the Lord in our hearts. And while we're enduring the suffering, we got a job to do. We have to be ready to answer anyone that asks us. Literally anybody at any time may be looking for an answer for why you have hope in the midst of this hardship. The word here is apologia to give this answer. It refers to making a verbal statement. It's apologetics, a defense, that word, a defensive word, gentle and pointed declaration of the truth of the gospel. One wrote this, mistreatment is a perfect platform from which to declare your hope. Wow. Mistreatment is a perfect platform from which to declare your hope. If you want to know whether or not you are righteously navigating unjust suffering, are you proclaiming hope or is bitterness, cynicism, resentment, and hostility and anger coming out of you? Are you gossiping about what has happened or are you proclaiming the truth and the goodness of Jesus Christ in spite? Well, that's tough stuff. That's hard words. It must be, as one commentator said, when we give our answer, reasonable. We must understand the gospel. 
We must grasp the scripture. It must be with meekness, that's gentleness, with winsomeness and love. Men cannot be bullied into the Christian faith. We give this answer with meekness and fear, that is reverence. Reverence for them, reverence for the gospel, reverence for the situation. Be ready to answer. The hope that you have in. Now listen, a lot of Christians suffer and nobody questions the hope that is in them because they aren't exhibiting that there is any. They're hostile and angry and cynical and resentful and bitter and nobody wants that. But if you suffer, and it's unlikely but possible, for righteousness sake, have a positive attitude. Don't worry about it. Set aside that Christ is Lord of all and be busy when that hope in you starts to show out to answer anybody at any time with the truth of the gospel. And when you get there, do it gently and do it reverently. I can't read this without thinking of the Apostle Paul. Constantly dealing with unjust situations. Suffering for righteousness' sake. In fact, at the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 24, he stands before Felix. He has been accused by the Jewish leaders. Note this, note his attitude. Hear the words, Acts 24, 10. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do, get this, the more cheerfully answer for myself. Cheerfully answer? He's again before Felix in verse 24. After certain days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith. And now Paul, verse 25, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. He cheerfully answered. He is reasoning of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. Now he's standing before Agrippa in verse 28 of chapter 26. I think myself happy. I'm sorry, this is verse 2 of 26. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, for I shall answer for myself. He's cheerfully answering. He's maintaining a positive attitude. He's ready to give an answer. This is the perfect illustration. And the response, Agrippa actually says, almost you've persuaded me to be a Christian because I am watching you navigate this cheerfully and offering reasonable, thought-out, Winsome, loving, reverential answers. Almost got me. Have a good conscience. Verse 16, and we're done. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Nothing speaks louder than integrity. Nothing stands like solid character. Character endures. You ever been lied about? Man, it stinks misrepresented, it's brutal. Character and integrity shout real loudly. Do right. Have a good conscience. Have a good conscience. Do right. People will say, your words will get twisted. Your motives will get twisted. Stand. Quietly, meekly stand. Character endures. Then as we conclude in verse 17, he said, it is better. If the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. The summation is, it is unlikely that you will suffer for righteousness, but it may happen. And to be honest, it's flat better if it is the will of God that you suffer for doing good and doing right than it is if you suffer for doing evil. All of us deal with enough 
repercussions and consequences for the evil that we do. And it is better to unjustly suffer than it is to endure deserved punishment. You say, well, pastor, I mean Job, right? Job, yeah, Job was tested. And sometimes we want to know why and don't know that that answer ever comes. I love what one said, God on rare occasions tells us why, so I stopped asking. Yeah, you might suffer and I might suffer, but God is in complete control. We all like fairy tales and we'd like our life to look like one. It may not be a fairy tale, but I can tell you it ends well. Here's some practical advice on simply how to navigate unjust suffering if it happens. It's helpful stuff. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. This has been humbling to read. Help us to exhibit Christ-likeness in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.